Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Dr. Cubitt. We're going beyond the barn. Come join us on this journey as we bust equine and livestock nutrition myths and interview some of the most intriguing experts in the country. We'll go behind the scenes of how premium Western quality forage is grown and brought to your favorite farm and ranch retail store. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Barn. Dr. Cubit, you are back with us today. It's great to have you. I am excited to be back. Today, we are going to be talking about you want to feed your horse what? And that means that we have heard, you know, from our friends that ride horses or at the barn or at shows, you know, oh, so-and-so says this is great for this or you should feed your horse this. And so... Since we have a nutrition expert on with us today, I thought it would be a great conversation for us to talk about all of these different things that people think should be fine to feed to their horses and we can find out today. Yes, there are some interesting <laughs> interesting choices here. Yeah, yeah. It'll be an interesting conversation for sure. And I should say, we're recording this late July and so if you hear... Background noises. We just got done a lot of the area here with second cutting. And so we have, I'm surrounded by alfalfa fields and barley fields. So if you hear crop dusters or farm equipment, that is why in my background. <laughs> and before we get started, any of the topics that we cover on the Beyond the Barn podcast, they are more generalized and not specific to any individual horse or any specific situation. So be sure to always work with your veterinarian and nutritionist before making any drastic changes to your horse's feed program. You can always reach out to us and talk directly to Dr. Cubit or Dr. Duran on any specifics that you'd like to know. So Dr. Cubit, let's kind of just get us started with, and we talk about this often, but what are horses designed to eat based off of their digestive systems? I really think that is a great place to start. And it's always the question when you're at home or you're tempted to try something new, it's always the question you should ask yourself. Go back to what is the horse meant to be eating or designed to do. And really, if you think about a wild horse, he stands out in a field and eats a wide variety of different fiber sources, forbs, weeds, you know, fibers, not all grasses, but some things that might be a bit more of a woody weed or some tree leaves. I mean, they eat a wide variety of different fibers. That's what horses are typically designed to eat. And then historically, how did we come to find and add like cereal grains and concentrates to their diets? Well, I mean, you can just do a little Wikipedia search and go back and horses have been domesticated for thousands of years. But if you look more in our kind of modern context, if we don't look at chariots and Romans, but if we look at more modern context and think about when the horse became a primary mode of transportation as well as a primary work animal in our fields. When we started farming fields and using the horse as, you know, a work animal in the 1800s, then we were growing cereal grains and we realized that horses needed more calories and protein to support the extra work that we were making them do. And so that's when we really started feeding them those cereal grains because that's what we were growing for ourselves to eat as well. Right. And then what are your thoughts about every once in a while changing up 
feed routines in the sense that, you know, maybe they want to give their horse an apple once a week or, and I know we've talked about this, but like a winter feed in the winter feed, like a mash once a week or anything like that. We're just every once in a while, we're giving them, you know, a little treat that we think is a treat or something like that. A small treat is one thing, but we have to remember that horses are routine animals and their GI tract is full of all kinds of different microorganisms. We collectively call it the microbiome. And that actually takes a full 21 days to adjust to new types of food. So when you put in, let's say your horse is used to eating a high fiber based diet without a lot of sugar and then once a week in the wintertime, it seems to happen the most, you give a bran mash that's got apples and carrots and some other sweet things that they're not used to, those bacteria don't know what to do with that. And you might actually cause a gastric upset or some transient diarrhea. So I prefer that you feed the same thing every day. That's not to say that seasonally we don't change the horse's diet. You know, some people have access to pasture. Their horses have pasture. So in the summer and spring months, they maybe will feed a little less fiber as hay because they're relying more on the pasture availability. And maybe in the wintertime, you don't want to ride as much. So your horse doesn't need as many calories for exercise. So he's on more of a maintenance diet. Or let's say your horse has an injury and he changes from being on a diet for a heavily exercising horse to now being maintenance or light exercise because he's healing from an injury. So we certainly, I'm not opposed to changing the diet based on the circumstances that horse is in, but I don't want you to rapidly change it week to week. They need to adjust. And that's why we always recommend that kind of seven to 14 day window to adjust your horse to new food. It's because of that microbiome and how it takes a full 21 days to adjust to new types of food. Excellent. And You have been a nutritionist for quite a while, so you have heard so many things from clients, but what is something that you have heard someone ask about wanting to feed their horse that just kind of caught you off guard? I was fortunate enough, I've traveled to China a couple of times with different clients, and one of the weirdest things that came across my desk was feeding eggs to horses, raw eggs. But the more I looked into it, it actually is pretty commonplace uh, in Irish and English racing bonds and thoroughbred bonds that they would feed their horses raw eggs. I think for the protein, again, any new thing you add to the horse's diet, you have to do it gradually. So I don't think there's anything wrong with feeding eggs to horses. It seems a little odd and it did catch me off guard, but Yeah, that's probably the weirdest thing. Interesting. I've seen that some people have asked stateside just more about like, they have asked about raw eggs also, but then boiled or scrambled and then like crushed eggs. They have said that it's enhanced like the coat and tail of the horse. Have you had any experience with that? The only thing that I have found is raw eggs, not the shell and yeah, not cooked, scrambled. That's... And I've not really heard about it for hair and coat. It was more for the protein content. And I want to get into more now some of the things that we have heard from others, more non-traditional things about wanting to feed their horses. So we want to get your advice on some of these other things. So sunflower seeds, we've heard them talk about like whole or ground, and they've referred to it as black oil sunflower seeds too. Well, and what's interesting because, you know, Obviously, I have a list here of all of the different 
strange things that people feed. And what we think are strange might be strange here in America, maybe actually commonplace in other parts of the world. And now that the internet is so accessible, I think that's why folks here might be asking more questions about what we consider weird of food sources, because maybe they've seen it on a, a British website or an Australian website. Oh, I want to try that. But sunflower seeds actually are pretty commonplace in Australia. We use them a lot. There are actually two different types of sunflower seeds grown, though, that we would be familiar with. Confectionery sunflower seeds, they have the stripy seed coat. They've got a more hard seed coat. And that's what we would buy at the store for us. You know, when you see people, they crack the shell off and then they eat the little thing inside. Right. So you don't feed those to horses because that outer seed coat is really quite hard. If you've ever accidentally chewed on that, it's pretty fibrous and gross. And then the oil seed sunflowers, which are have a much thinner skin and they are really high in fat content. And that's what people will feed two horses, black oil sunflower seeds, which is abbreviated to BOSS, thinner skins, anywhere from 26 to 45% fat content. Some people will feed up to about two cups, measuring cups a day. And it's really, it'll give the horse a nice shiny hair coat because it's fat. Right. Okay. That makes sense. A couple other things that I had heard about it was, can it change a horse's color or can it cause joint inflammation? I have not heard the one about joint inflammation, but I'm guessing that stems from looking at the different types of omega-3 fatty acids versus omega-6 fatty acids. And black oil sunflower seeds are not high in omega-6 fatty acids. So I wouldn't say that they would cause inflammation. And we're also really not feeding that much of it. They're not super high in omega-3 fatty acids either. So I doubt that they would be a great source for decreasing inflammation. But really, the shiny coat, it's not going to change the horse's coat color. There are some other ingredients that can supposedly do that. But the fat content will just enhance the depth, you know, the shininess. That makes a lot of sense. And so what about, I think it's common among those that own donkeys that, you know, they can incorporate straw into their diets. What about wheat straw specifically for donkeys? So this is very interesting because there's actually been quite a bit of research recently, and I can share with you some of those links for listeners that might want to read a little bit more. Oh, excellent. In Europe, it's actually quite commonplace to feed wheat straw to horses, but donkeys being such easy keepers, uh, they have about 75% the requirement of their equine counterparts. So they're real easy keepers. You don't need to feed them a lot. They are plagued with crusty necks and obesity. So finding a forage that you can feed enough to keep the gut healthy and give them all their fiber requirements, but isn't going to be high calorie and put weight on them. Wheat straw has been used and it's very low in energy. And the most recent research actually showed that it did prolong feeding time. So it took them a lot longer to chew it. One of the things that we have to be cautious of is obviously we don't want all the wheat seeds in the straw. It's just after the harvest. But we also, mycotoxins in any of the grain-based haze can be an issue. So we just want to make sure that it's very clean, it's not moldy, and we decrease our risk for mycotoxins. Right. And for anybody who's interested in learning more about donkeys and they haven't listened before, episode 30, I believe, I had a great conversation with Dr. Duran 
on feeding donkeys. So that'd be a great episode to learn more about them. Another one that I heard about was beer to help with anhydrosis. So for those that aren't familiar, anhydrosis is a disorder in horses where they lose their ability to sweat. And sweating is one of the primary ways that horses will dissipate heat. So they don't have a way, they really struggle with heat regulation and temperature regulation. People have fed Guinness to horses. They fed all kinds of different things to horses that have this non-sweating disorder. None of them have been shown scientifically to actually work. So if you feed beer to your horse and you think it works, great. It's not going to hurt your horse. Typically, it's Guinness because it was very high in B vitamins. Uh, We see that a lot also in the kind of old school racing bonds with the eggs. But I have not found beer to be an across the board standard staple works for horses that don't sweat. Management like riding them in cooler temperatures and things like that are much more effective. Okay. And what about ground flaxseed? We've had some people asking about that, giving shiny coats to horses. Flax in general is pretty popular because it is high in omega-3 fatty acids, but we have three different types of omega-3 fatty acids. There's ALA and then there's DHA and EPA. And the DHA and EPA are actually what get used by the animal. And that ALA has to get converted to DHA and EPA. DHA and EPA typically come from your marine-based sources like algae or fish. But the flax is high in that omega-3 fatty acid. It can provide, also it's an oil seed, so it does provide fat. So it will make your horse's coat shiny. But I find most people feed flax because they want to improve the omega-3 fatty acid content in their diet. When you grind it, you are exposing that oil to oxygen. So oxidization is going to occur and it'll go rancid. So we don't want to buy large quantities of ground flax that isn't treated. So it doesn't have some kind of stabilization in it. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. If you're buying whole flax and you're grinding it yourself and feeding it to your horse, then you would do that daily. Whole flax seeds, ground flax seeds. I know in a lot of commercial feedstuffs, we actually add flax into those commercial concentrates because it is higher in omega-3 fatty acids. Okay. And then another one that I heard about was, does feeding garlic protect horses from flies? Oh, and right now you mentioned to the listeners that it is July when we're recording this. So it is a common question I'm getting. Oh my gosh, I can't keep the flies away from my horse. What can I do? I feed garlic and can it cause anemia? Yes. So there was, again, I will share a research study that was done. It's just one study, so we can't hang our head on it. But in 2005, there was a study that looked at feeding freeze-dried garlic to horses and it did increase anemia in these horses. So there's no safe dose of garlic. There's been no research to tell us exactly how much we should feed or what's safe. So I encourage people to use tried and true fly protection and not rely on garlic. Right. Until maybe more research is uh, done on it. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Okay. And this is one that we heard about, obviously not this time of year, But there were some people that would throw out their Christmas trees after Christmas time into the pasture for their horses to chew on. Good idea or bad idea? Uh, I have goats. I have two goats. And I read, look, 
I'm going to say I'm just like all of our listeners. I read on Facebook that you could feed Christmas trees to goats. And I have a friend who is a goat expert. And she said, yes, actually, it is really good for goats as a natural dewormer, the pine needles. As far as horses, I would not feed a Christmas tree to a horse because everybody buys a different type of tree. We know that pine needles can be toxic to horses. Yew trees are toxic to horses. So I would not feed a Christmas tree to a horse ever. No. Okay. Well, and you never know too, like anybody that's ever taken like the decorations off, inevitably there's always a small little ornament or something that gets stuck on the tree too. So, (laughs) and then how about chia seeds? Can that help move sand through the gut at all? So chia seeds are another interesting one. And if you've ever made like a chia pudding yourself, you know that when you put milk or water with it, it gelatinizes. It's really gluey and gooey. And so I think that's why people think, oh, well, I could use this as a sand clear type product, just like psyllium, because when you wet psyllium, it will do the same thing. It will get all gluey. Chia seeds primarily can be added to the diet because they are also high in omega-3 fatty acids. As far as using it to clear sand out of the gut, I do not believe that it's as effective as psyllium. And the reason why is most people will do it daily and just add a little bit daily. And what we found is that's really not effective for clearing sand that we should do, say, a once a month treatment of large doses of psyllium to actually push all of that sand out versus just a little bit every day. Okay. And can you talk to us a little bit about dolomite? We had someone asking about if horses are able to absorb it. You know, this one caught me off guard a little bit. And dolomite is magnesium and calcium together. And you can go online and there's 50,000 different supplements that contain dolomite that are saying they're great for growing horses and bone and in leg development. I know that there are sources of calcium that are much more bioavailable than the standard limestone calcium. Limestone is very common, so it's calcium carbonate, and that's very commonly used in a lot of feed products and is great, but there are new forms of calcium that are much more bioavailable. And I think even just the calcium in alfalfa is more bioavailable. Okay. And what about haylage? So this gets into the whole fermented forage products, haylage, baylage, I mean, silage. They all fall into that fermented hay category. I never recommend that anyone feed their horse silage. Every year I have people, oh, my horse ate some silage and it's not doing well because it's a rapid feeding change. Silage can harbor botulism, mycotoxins, which horses are very, very sensitive to. Haylage in Europe actually is very commonly fed to horses because it rains all the time and they can't make hay. We here in the United States have the opportunity. We have the growing conditions. We can make perfect hay. We do not have to feed fermented hay products. That being said, if you do buy a fermented hay product, a haylage, I know there are some commercially available. What you need to be very careful about is When I say, or any nutritionist says that your horse needs to eat anywhere between one and a half to two and a half percent of their body weight in dry matter fiber per day, 
That's dry matter. If you look at these Halage products, if you look at the guaranteed analysis, most of them are at least 80% water and only 20% dry matter because all of that moisture has not been dried out of the product. So if you're feeding four pounds of Halage, 80% of that is water and only 20% of that is dry matter. So don't feel like you're feeding four pounds of fiber. You're actually not. So that would be my biggest caution when you're buying some of the smaller backpack commercial products is they have to be used very quickly because they can mold. You're not getting 100% dry matter like you are pretty much with hay. So you have to feed more of it. And as far as making it at home and feeding it, there's just no need because we have ideal growing conditions to make and preserve dry hay. Do you think, because you had mentioned it's very commonplace in Europe to feed haylage, the horses that are over there and that have eaten that like their whole lives, do you feel like they would be more accustomed to consuming that versus a horse over here that maybe has never had it and then is introduced to it? Would that? I mean, any horse that is used to eating something is more accustomed to it. So I think you can adjust a horse here to it, just like you could adjust a horse in Europe to eating dry hay. You just have that transition period. Right. Okay. And how about beans. Pinto, black, red, can they cause gas or colic in horses? You know, this was interesting. And, you know, you originally wrote beans and pinto and then went on to say, would they cause gas or colic? Anything, if you just fed it to a horse and didn't slowly adapt them to it, absolutely could cause gas or colic because those bacteria as a byproduct of, you know, changing rapidly are going to produce gas. So on one hand, I'll say, yes, if you fed those out of the blue to your horse, you could absolutely cause gastrocolic. Now, a horse that is adjusted to eating pinto beans, black beans, red beans, that is not going to by itself cause gas colic. High in protein, like other legumes, though, they have to be heat treated. So like soybeans, they have to be heat treated because they have an anti-nutritional factor in them, which needs to be broken down by heat. But beans provide high amounts of protein. If you look in, you know, diets in Australia, they grow a lot more legumes, a lot more different types of beans. So beans we've never even heard of here are commonplace in equine diets in Australia. Oh, interesting. Okay. And how about apple cider vinegar? Can it be used as a digestive aid at all? You know, this one's interesting because some people love it, swear by it. Others, it doesn't even cross their radar, but it's definitely been around for a long time. Even just look in people's kitchens. Oh, I swear by it. I've, I take apple cider vinegar daily. So again, back to the research, because that's all we can go by. There's been a couple of research papers. One out of Cornell was feeding a cup a day, and it actually made the hindgut more acidic. Now, that's not always a good thing if we already have a stressed horse that isn't eating at a bunch of fiber and maybe the hindgut's already acidic. That could cause hindgut ulcers. But then research out of UC Davis in California actually recommends feeding half a cup a day for enteroliths, for preventing enteroliths. So enteroliths is a buildup of mineral deposits around something the horse has ingested. It could be a piece of string, it could be a stick, and then they form these crystal salt-like hard structures in the horse's gut and can actually cause an impaction and lead to death. I mean, they can be really terrible. So in that case, the acidity actually helps to break down some of those salts. But if you don't live in an area where enteroliths are common, then I'm not sure that I 
I, as a nutritionist, am constantly trying to create diets that decrease the acidity in the gut. So I don't know that I would be advocating feeding large quantities of apple cider vinegar if I wasn't in an area that had introlits. Okay. And this is kind of a crazy thing. And you, I don't know that you've heard anything about it, but I just found it to be quite interesting. But somebody had mentioned that it hurt it can make the horse's blood taste acidic to ticks. Mm, yeah, no, don't know anything about that. I just thought that was kind of an interesting comment. And then for colic, someone was asking about using original Dawn soap with some water to work as like a laxative. They had tried it on a steer before and obviously cattle and horses are different animals, but just wondering about that. (laughs) So, you know, I would love to say that I just know all this stuff off the top of my head, but Katie sent me a list of all the questions so that I could make sure I had the most up-to-date research and... This question, I've got notes all over my paper. This particular bullet point, though, the only thing I wrote was no. That's it. No. I don't, I don't, have don't even try else. it. Just, just don't even try it. Call no. your vet. Call your vet. Call your vet. <laughs> Maybe that would be your better. <laughs> okay. What about feeding cinnamon to horses? Again, another one that has over the years been a hot topic. A cinnamon has been touted as an antioxidant, an antidiabetic, an antimicrobial. To date, though, there is no controlled research in horses. So I know that some people feed it because they, or if you look at supplements that are for kind of regulating glucose and insulin in those cresty necked horses, a lot of people will add cinnamon. But Again, I haven't seen any really good controlled research to say that it works in horses. There's a lot of research in people, but haven't seen any in horses. Okay. Another one that I heard about was feeding raw pumpkins to horses after Halloween. And I hadn't heard anything about this, but this was another one that I was able to look up. And pumpkins are high in vitamin A, C, E, and potassium. But it's suggested that, yes, you can feed raw pumpkins after Halloween, but only the carving or pie-type pumpkins because we know that they're not toxic. Cut them up into small cubes like you would carrots so that they don't choke on it. And don't feed any of the other, like, decorative gourd-like pumpkins because they could definitely be toxic. Oh, interesting. Okay. And make sure you don't have any leftover little candles in your (laughs) (laughs) jack-o'-lantern. I mean, our pumpkins last year had toothpicks and all kinds of stuff in them. And so when I threw them into the field for my cows to eat, but I was frantically picking all of the other accoutrements out of our pumpkins before I threw them out there. Yeah. And how about cocoa bean husks or shells? And this is another one that I'm only familiar with because uh, I was fortunate enough in 2010 to be one of the nutritionists for the World Equestrian Games in Kentucky. And so we had to be very well versed on all of the banned substances and uh, things that could contaminate feeds because, you know, sometimes bad things happen to good people and you're not actively adding something bad to your horse's diet, but all of a sudden they're testing. So... Cocoa beans, husk shells, contain an ingredient called theobromine, and it actually has been shown that only 10 M&Ms, so 10 peanut M&Ms, feed that to your horse, 48 hours later, there will still be detectable levels of theobromine in the horse's urine. So we do not ever feed 
chocolate, chocolate bean husks, shells, or anything like that to horses because theobromine is a banned and prohibited substance. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I think that's all I have on my list today. Well, I actually reached out to a friend of mine who I know had written something along these lines at Rutgers University, Dr. Kerry Williams. So I've got a few other strange things here that we haven't actually covered. Excellent. Oddities often consumed by horses on pasture, no problem, because when a horse is out at pasture, they're not really going to be eating a bunch of it. They might be just nibbling here and there. Dandelions, sunflower plants, actually, maybe they're growing in your field, peanut plants, raspberry or blackberry bushes, they might nibble on them, and they're all going to be fine as long as they're not just eating large quantities of them. Potential problem if eaten in large quantities, buttercups, morning glory, pokeweed, St. John's wort, Gumweed, avocado leaves. I don't know why in North America people would have lots of avocado leaves, but there you go. Bracken fern. Avoid at all costs. This was privet and yew and azalea, rhododendron, pits of peaches, cherries, or avocados. Do not throw those out for your horses. But potential treats, I thought these were interesting. There's some weird ones on here. Acceptable treats fed in limited quantities. Of course, carrots, apples, grapes, bananas, peas, green beans, lettuce, celery, dried beans, such as pinto, red, faba beans, but they should be cooked. Watermelon rinds, that was a good one because that's a waste product anyway. Mangoes, not the seeds. As a kid, my gray pony used to eat mangoes and they would get covered in the orange flesh and then spit the seeds out. Raisins, rice products, if you've cooked rice, I mean rice cake, but eggs. This even says hot dogs. Oh, interesting. I'm not going to feed my horse a hot dog, but if your horse ate a little bit of your hot dog, it wouldn't kill it. So anyway, there you go. That's so interesting. Maybe they want to share a little treat with them on like the 4th of July or something. (laughs) Oh, here, I'm reading even further. Safe in very limited quantities, but will cause positive drug tests. This is a good one too. Sassafras, tobacco, obviously we're never feeding our horses tobacco. Carrots in very large quantities, over five pounds a day. Persimmons, chocolate in any form, never do that. Nutmeg, caffeinated sodas, because caffeine is a detectable and banned substance. Alcohol, never feed your horse alcohol, of course. That is a no-no. So some interesting things there. Have you heard of, you had mentioned like peach pits and like avocado pits. Do apricots fall into that as well, like the apricot pits? It doesn't say it, but I would just, out of an abundance of caution, throw it all in there together. I think it's something about cyanide because we were just having this conversation the other day. Interesting. For our listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. If you have any suggestions or ideas on topics that you would like us to discuss in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at stanleyforage.com. Or if you just want to give us some feedback, did you like the episode? Is there something that you didn't like? No matter what, we just love to hear from you. Thanks, Dr. Cubit. We will catch you all in the next episode. Thank you so much. On our next episode, episode 42, I will be interviewing world-renowned horse clinician Clinton Anderson. Tune in Tuesday, September 13th. I guarantee you'll want to hear this episode. See you then. 
Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Barn podcast by Stanley Forage. We'd love for you to share our podcast with your favorite people and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform. Until next time, keep your cinch tight and don't forget to turn off the water. (laughs) 